Filibuster received sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. If you need legal representation on employment issues, including wage and hour disputes, discrimination and harassment claims, wrongful termination, you need help with a severance package or non-compete clauses, or you just need equal employment opportunity and civil rights representation, general civil litigation, or even defamation, the Ehrlich Law Office has you covered if you are in Northern Virginia or the District of Columbia. For a free consultation, head over to EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. I had oysters tonight. They were delicious. Oysters are frequently delicious. I saw those pictures on Facebook. I was jealous. Yeah, oysters are good. I love oysters. I had... Uh, the specific ones, uh, they have three different kinds at this delicious oyster place here in Richmond. Uh, the two kinds I had, one was grown in the York River, and the other was grown in the Atlantic Ocean itself, so they were very salty. And But both kinds were very delicious. And Excellent. Raw oysters are good. Everyone should have raw oysters. Although it used to be, I guess maybe this is true for, for Gulf oysters, you're only supposed to eat oysters in months that end in R, or months with an R in it. <laughs> and so, because uh, May through August is the breeding season when the oysters aren't as good and they have to, you know, maintain population and all that. So I, I think that that wisdom is now expired. It's no longer correct, but it's still ingrained in my head. That yes. Uh, the, I mean, yeah. I, I trust Rappahannock oysters because they truck their oysters from the Rappahannock River to Richmond every day, so mm-hmm. I, trust their fr- I trust their freshness. Right. It's not, it's not the freshness that's the issue. It's just weird for me thinking of eating oysters in July or right. August. But that's because we're from the Midwest, and you, definitely, you probably did not want to eat Midwestern oysters in months that didn't have an R in them. Very, very true. Very true. <laughs> uh, how, do you, how do you take your oysters? Raw. I mean, lemon juice, hot sauce. No, no. nothing. Nothing. Just pure oyster, and 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 pure. and the brine and the brine that is in the shell with the oyster. Oh yeah, naturally. Yeah. The liquor, I yeah. believe it's called. I think so. Yeah, I you, usually squeeze a little bit of lemon juice, but I don't. I don't no, otherwise no, no, adulterate not, not a, it. Yeah, no. Jason, you're you're pretty quiet over there. Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I am Adam Taylor, joined as always. Jason I bet Maryland Jason. oysters suck. This oh, is man. the second week in a row talking about seafood, so this is well, we'll see what happens. This is the consequence of Ben's uh, Virginia college education. Uh, he had to he not only learned nothing but unlearned probably many things he learned in high school and middle school. <laughs> Adam Taylor, Jason Anderson, Ben Bromley. We are all from blackandredunited.com, uh, where you can find us writing about DC United and lots more. Tonight, we're talking all about DC United. We're going to talk about the wild 6-4, 10-goal bonanza win over RSL this weekend. We're going to talk a little bit of news. we got some uh, interesting reports happening and, and potential rumors flying around about a former DC United player that could actually affect the current team. We'll, we'll get into that later. We'll also preview DC United's trip to play the Montreal Impact this weekend. Before we do any of that, though, 
Ben, on this nice post-oyster evening, what are you drinking? Uh, so at the oyster place, they have uh, the drink specials at Wells as well. So I was having an old-fashioned, uh, a rye old-fashioned at the oyster place, which was quite delicious, and it was on special as well, so it was very cheap, which was the best of both worlds. But for my nightcap for this podcast, I'm going very simple and basically using just the ingredients I have. I'm drinking club soda, lime juice, and tequila. It's just a nice, refreshing little drink. Okay. Nice. I am also drinking lime juice, club soda, and a liquor, but it's bourbon, so it's a Ricky. I think yours might technically be a tequila Ricky if there if you have enough of the lime juice. I mean, I, I do go heavy on the lime juice, so why not? Yeah. Let's call it a tequila Ricky. A Riquito. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got I've got a bourbon Ricky with bullet bourbon in it because I went shopping and now I have bullet. It's very nice. Jason, what are you drinking? Oh, well, first, I'll, I'll preface this. I, I am not drinking in the story until Ben's uh, tequila drink reminds me of a time in which uh, at, at the University of Maryland, briefly, there was a bar that, that lived it, it lived too hard and, and died too young. Flew um, too close but, to the sun. Yes, it did. Um, but for one of their specials was a Thursday night progressive rail thing where there was a stretch of time where you could get a drink for a quarter, um, a, rail, a rail drink for a quarter. Um, that doesn't and, seem like a good business model. Uh, the, well, like I said, they're out of business. Um, and it took like two years. But uh, on one of these nights, after several rounds of quarter rails and then 50-cent rails, once it got to a dollar, my friend went up, and he couldn't figure out what he wanted, even though he walked up to the bar with the intention of buying something. He had plenty of time to sort this out. And he walked up, and he ordered a tequila and Coke for himself. No. And he tried He tried to correct himself, but we had heard, and we insisted. We told the bartender, <laughs> do not serve this man anything other. He has to drink his tequila and Coke before he can move on. It was sort of like parents punishing a child, like you have to finish your dinner before you get dessert. He, Smoke he the could, whole pack of cigarettes. Right. How, he wasn't, how, he, how can you have any pudding if you don't eat your meat? Yes, and it was to that level of severity as well. There was a lot of screaming and, and finger-pointing, and the bartender eventually sided with us and said, I'm not serving you until you drink the tequila and Coke that you ordered. Um, and so my friend just bitterly drank this tequila and Coke. He was just we It ruined his night, really. Like He never bounced back. He never got over it. He laughed about it later, but that night he was just unhappy and never got back on track. But anyway, I'm not drinking tequila nor Coke. Um, I am drinking... Bell's Two-Hearted Ale. Uh, it is an unpasteurized, unfiltered IPA from Bell's Brewery in Michigan. Uh, it's pretty excellent. It's a it's a good summery IPA. It's not too citrusy. It's not too piney. It's right which in is, the sweet spot between the middle, or between the two, I should say. What's really funny is when, when I first had Bell's Two-Hearted, which was close to 15 years ago um, in Indiana when I was in college, I tried it, and it was basically the outer edge of IPAs as far as uh, bitterness and the hops that they that they added. And now the market has moved so that it's right mainstream, middle of the road, very good IPA that's not going to knock you over with its bitterness. And it's just funny how far that the market has shifted in 15 years. As, right. as an aside, I like hoppy beers, but We've gone too far, people. There are some kinds of beers that just shouldn't be hoppy. 
Well, it's, it's sort of uh, like the Hop Olympics. It's like how many beers or how many how much hops can we put in a given beer before it becomes like another product altogether? Right, like, <laughs> like hop mash, like um, hoppy porters. No, porters right. are not meant to be hoppy. Hoppy pilsners. No, pilsners aren't meant to be super hoppy. I think you can it. you can get away with a slightly hoppy pilsner. Slightly. Yeah, pilsners are supposed but to some have of a little it is bit just like them. someone's someone's right, basically think, like got. To, like double the amount of hops they need, and they're just throwing it around the brewery. And well, a, a lot of places do it, it to everywhere. cover up their, you know, less than stellar beer. Well, yeah, that too. It's such um, a strong flavor that it, it completely demolishes any any screw ups you have. Yeah, exactly. And and also the market is bearing it. The market says yeah. is demanding People hoppy and hoppy. Like but but now there's also explosion beers. Yeah, and I think there will always be a market for that, but it's such a segmented market that there's also other stuff. If you don't want the really hoppy stuff, there's a million other beers available probably at the store you're at that you can get. So this this is one of those cases where I'm 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 willing to live and let live. I'm also reacting against the current microbrew culture in Richmond. Right now, Richmond is in a hoppocalypse, basically. It's just like, let's experiment with malt, guys. Let's experiment with other things. Good beer name, by the way. Hoppocalypse. It's probably already taken. I think yeah, it's I'm sure taken. it is. I'm sure yeah. it is. TM. Anything, anything with an explosion or an apocalypse has already been made into as many forms as possible. Armageddon. I was, I was on the wings of Armageddon. By the way, is yeah. a brilliant it's double. It's a really good. Yeah. Right, but that's not one of the ones where it's like the, it's Arma- the, Ar- to be. the Armageddon. There isn't the hops causing the end of the world because you use too many. Um, <laughs> in that case, uh, well, I'm waiting for a Ragnarok beer. <laughs> Cthulhu beers. Or I, was, I was at a work happy hour today, and I had Pocahoptus. Okay. Right, at least just, that's not about to be exploding. I was just going to leave that hanging and, and switch over <laughs> to what what actually... You guys went right past the natural segue, which is the end of the world. Why, why would we? Why would we stop ever? Yeah, that's a good point. DC United 6, Real Salt Lake 4, because it is the end of the world... DC United once again came back from two down after goals from Joao Plata and Kyle Beckerman. Chris Rolf scored twice, and then the entire world ended. RFK collapsed all around us. We all hallucinated seven goals happening in the second half. Um, Galazos from Taylor Kemp and Nick DeLeon, both left-footed. Only one of those players is actually left-footed. A textbook crab soccer goal from Fabiana Spindola, uh, blocking a goal-line clearance two inches off the ground into the net. It was, and, and then a, a set-piece header from Perry Kitchen and two RSL goals in a 6-4 game is is what we have. To, to, to paraphrase Vince Lombardi, Ben, what the hell was going on out there? <laughs> it's the end of the world as we know it. And you know what? I feel fine. That's it. That, that's the joke you're going with. Yeah. You're just going to leave it there yeah. with REM. I'm going with REM from... So, so you're, you're telling me that we, we attempted, uh, Adam attempted an apocalypse end of the world segue, we ruined it, and then almost immediately, you, Ben, are now attempting an end of the world joke. Yeah, I never said we right. were successful just, at things. I will try and keep it in mind so that I can also join in on this, but yeah. I don't know when no. it's going to happen. This is not going to be planned. <laughs> No, I, in all seriousness, it's it's absurd, it's ridiculous, it's baffling. Uh, I mean, if if DC United 
had played even slightly better. That game could have been 6-1 instead of, or 6-2 instead of 6-4. The things that are happening with their defense are bizarre and strange and unexplainable, and I'm not really sure what's happening with their defense right now, and we could probably get into that a little more, but... Oh, we will. Oh, we will, yeah. (laughs) But, I don't know. I mean, it's great that with, uh, apparently, adding only Alvaro Saborio turns a moribund offense into one of the best offenses in the league, apparently, and obviously they're going to win this weekend's game against the Montreal Impact 12-8 to because that's the way things are going nowadays. Um, it's it's strange and baffling, and I'm not... I, at least they're winning. <laughs> I mean, they're the first team in MLS history to... Come back down. from two down twice in a row to for yes, a result. Yes, that was what I was going to say. Yeah, we we've all heard it so many times. I, I had no oh, trouble boy. stepping oh, on no. your line there. That's fair. It's really, it's the first team to get points in two games in which they yeah, went down. Not even just yeah, get, get any result. Points, yeah, get any both points games. whatsoever. I think we're all just so baffled by it that we just don't know how to speak words. Yeah. So it, it occurred to me that you know I, I, we do have to say that Philly's defense and RSL's defense they bad. These were against two bad defensive teams, but. Philly, D.C. struggled against the first eight times we played them this year. RSL is a team that United always seems to score against, but they could have easily held on after the they, they went up two to nothing. We, would have, we actually kind of expected them to, I think. But for whatever reason, after halftime, D.C. United players all came out feeling like they were channeling their inner Carly Lloyds or something. They came out super confident and super attacking, and it was great. Um, when I rewatched the game, I think every field player except the two center backs at some point attempted a shot from outside the box. It was un- everyone was just had a green light to pull the trigger, and it obviously worked in a couple of instances. And and even the crab walk goal was forced by a, a, a hard shot, I think, inside the box, but by Saborio. But Jason, when's the last time you saw a DC United team that confident shooting from any opening, and justifiably so? Yeah, it's it's not a it's not a common thing. Um, I think a major factor in that was once once DC got the first goal, um, RSL I think started to lose a little confidence because of their 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 history on the road this season has been pretty bad, and I think that I think both teams kind of knew that. Um, if it was two nothing at halftime, uh, the game was probably kind of dead and buried. But if DC had won, that United want, would once again look at yet another um, opportunity to come from behind, as they've been doing at home. Um, I think this was the sixth and seventh goals they've given up in the first half hour to fall behind in a game, and then they've they've taken three points every single time. Um, and RSL is also looking at a situation where they've got an 18 year old in central defense. Um, they've got a guy in Aaron Mond who probably isn't making the majority of MLS rosters, um, uh, as is the other center back. Um, Kyle Beckerman's coming off the gold cup. He's not necessarily going to cover the ground that, uh, he'd be able to if he was fresh. Well, he also showed at the gold cup. He's maybe not covering the same ground anymore anyway. Right. Um, and and, you know, it's, it's a, they're playing only three in the midfield. Um, they are unlike some, MLS 4-3-3 is where the wide forwards are 
very much midfielders. RSL is buying into the 4-3-3, which means they've got, they don't have that support coming back as much. Um, so there's a lot of room to attack them. And I think United knew that, you know, Atanella had already spilled um, a couple shots. No, he, not that he let them through or anything, but he, he didn't make them look as easy to save as they should have been. So there was a lot of indications of vulnerability and the opportunities kept being there. Um, United was getting to the second balls, picking up the ball, you know, 25, 30 yards from goal um, over and over again. And I think also um, there's a certain psychological impact when you see a goal like Taylor Kemp's um, where you start, you know, to, that goal capped off the comeback. It's the second week in a row and it's a goal of that nature. Um, you start to feel like everything's going to go right. Um, and that pretty and much. And that was it, only confirmed when Espindola scored his ridiculous. Yes. Uh, you know, use it using the sole of his foot to block a clearance while uh, crawling along the ground. Um, uh, you know, it, it's it's one of those games where it, it it's kind of like everyone on the field has to sort of lose their minds as a group. Like all 22 players from both teams have to go insane um, because if if RSL had taken a a minute to collect themselves during some of that, they could have slowed the game down and gotten themselves maybe not fully back on track, but at least given themselves a chance to stop the, you know, the chaos going on around them. Um, but it never happened. And we've seen it happen. You know, we, it reminded me a little bit of the 2011 game against the Timbers where after the 77th minute, there were like 24 shot attempts in like a 13 minute span in that game. No one, none of them were yeah. yeah. Everyone was bad at finishing and shooting. Um, and so that's why both of those teams missed the playoffs and they were trying to make the playoffs and the game went, completely insane. This was just over a longer stretch of a stretch of time and the teams were better. So they were able to um, put the ball on frame more often. So um, you get to see these every once in a while. I guess this is one of those times where uh, everyone was sharp and also the game just lost its mind completely. Yeah. I, <laughs> I felt I had lost my mind after Taylor Kemp's goal. It happened right in front of a, my seat and watching that, like watching um, the ball to Chris Rolfe and then his, little outside of the boot cross to to try to find uh, Sabarillo that, that didn't come off, but it was only half cleared. And then I look over and I see Taylor Kemp coming, and it's, you know he's he's thinking shoot it. They, they call him shooter in practice. Yeah. And he, he does it, and it was just the ball. It, it felt like the ball, there were like four of them trailing each other. It, he hit it so hard. And it went in the net, and... No joke. I jumped up, said, yeah, and then just started, like, had my hands out, like, I can't feel my face, just right. turning back and forth, saying, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, because I couldn't comprehend that goal. Not not the stakes or anything, just the <laughs> the goal itself right. in a vacuum was something my mind could not handle. <laughs> it, was, it was a little bit weird and a little bit confusing, and I don't know what to make of it. I also don't know what to make of the defense right now, guys, um, just to make a hard turn. Okay. The defense has been uh, less than great the last two games, at least to especially to start the game. Against Philly, they, they eventually did lock it down. Obviously, against RSL, they didn't. Ben, what to your mind is, is the issue right now? I'm, to be honest, I'm not really sure. I mean, part of it is definitely that Sean Franklin is still absent. He's been absent for a while. Uh, hopefully he's coming back soon, and that will help solidify the defense 
overall because a solid right back is going to allow the other players on the defense uh, to concentrate more on their responsibilities. Um, part of it may be, I mean, after a after he finally figured it out, Steve Birnbaum hasn't been great the past couple of games. He's been good, but he's gotten muscled off the ball more than he should be, and that that's concerning. Uh, Bobby Boswell may be losing another step, and I think a lot of this honestly has to do with the midfield. You look no, at, I mean, I'm getting, you look there. At, I'm getting okay. there. I'm getting there. Just let me ramp up to it. Um, but yeah, like uh, as you as you were saying, like the, that that uh, the Javier Morales goal uh, in the RSL game, I put most. I mean, it was, it was a great shot by him. The but Plata goal. Morales didn't score. Then I must mean the Plata goal. No, the I, first one. Yes. The first goal was Plata. Okay. Uh, but I I put that on a, a lot of that on. Perry Kitchen. Perry Kitchen got sucked into ball watching and missed the late run and should have he should have left that for he should have left that for the center backs and been preventing the late run coming in from the top of the box. And he eventually got better and eventually locked it down, but that's not a mistake you usually see Perry Kitchen make. And so some of that has to go on him as well. I mean and it's it, yeah. It's not. It's not great. It's not something that you usually think of when you think of Perry Kitchen. Jason, what, anything to add to that before we take a break and bring in the news? Yeah, um, I'm. I'm a little worried about the fact that Burnbaum made a similar mistake against a similar player two weeks in a row. Um, both games, he's bodying up against a target man, and he gets um, CJ Sapong spun him off. There was some contact, and he hits the shot. Um, this one was a little less um, contact, but Sandoval managed to hold Burnbaum off, and he sort of – Burnbaum became hesitant as soon as that situation popped up again so early, and the ball ended up working its way back to Plata, which became the goal. Um, that's a little worrying to me that um, it's, the, it's a very similar error to be making in a similar moment in the game – we shouldn't be first of all. There shouldn't be defending inside the box that quickly. Um, a team shouldn't be forcing United to actually not just defend, you know, a ball lumped into the box. That's one thing. But I'm talking about defending a player with the ball at his feet inside the box that quickly. It, it just shouldn't happen. Um, so that's a full team issue um, being just too easy to, to break down. But the other thing is that Burnbaum's got to do better um, in the opening stages of games. Um, this this goal, uh, the, the Plata goal has to be the last time where he's involved in a goal like this, this early. Um, and I don't know, you know, yelling at someone isn't, it's not one of those things where, oh, he just has to get yelled at and all that. That's not really an effective way to manage uh, soccer players most of the time. Um, in ter- it turns out screaming at people in life doesn't really get you very far. Um, except if you're like, if you're in the past. Uh, if you're writing us from the past and, and you want to suggest screaming, then, you know, in your time period, maybe, but I don't know how you're doing that. Or on television, it works very well for Gordon Ramsay. Apparently, that's true. He he does have enough. Um, he is on many shows and is is uh, wealthy beyond my wildest dreams for screaming at people. Um, but that's a that's an issue. Um, Kitchen really did not do well on that on that goal at all. Um, he was there to make an initial 
um, not necessarily a challenge, but he made it inconvenient, but the ball went back in, popped back out, and he had lost Plata at that point. Um, that's not good. Um, the team structure as a whole looks like a mess in uh, in this the, for the first minute of both of those games, um, and that's why these. I mean, yes, the first goal uh, against Philly also involved a bad pass from Chris Corb, um, but it's it's not one player, it's not even two players, it's not one one line of players. It's all over the field. Players are making mistakes, and if what United has to do in the first five minutes to get their footing is is you know possess the ball uh, without risking it or thump it long to nobody and just try and pin the other team in their other end, you've got to do something else. Something has to change from the team, and it might be that Olsen tells them this is... Some teams do this where they plan their kickoff, and it's not even um, a constructive kickoff. It's almost like a a risk-averse maneuver where you try and put the ball in the corner and then make the other team play out of a throw-in from deep in their own half. Um, If that's what it takes, so be it, because you can't go in against good teams, and RSL is on the fence of a good team. Philadelphia is not a good team. You can't go in against the actual good teams in MLS, which some of them are coming up for us, and survive after giving up two goals that early or even one goal in the first minute. It's already You're already pretty unlikely to not get anything out of that game. Um, we're also not likely to see United go scoring uh, 4.5 goals per game uh, <laughs> over a sustained stretch of time. So um, as much fun as the last two weeks have been, it's not a good plan. Um, it's not like, you know, as has been out there so many times, this is the first time this has happened um, in 20 years of MLS. There's a reason for that. It's because I bet other leagues would have a similar similar data point where this just doesn't happen. Um, so it's time for United as a group to figure out how to start games more effectively, um, whether it is whether it requires just visualizing a better start, whether it requires more defensive tactics, whether it def- requires just playing five minutes of um, anti-soccer long ball uh, and just kicking the ball out of bounds over and over again until people get their mind fully in- engaged in the fact that the soccer game has begun. Um, whatever it is, it has to happen. And it has to happen soon because on the road, uh, even though Montreal's not a very good team, on the road, I don't think um, giving up a goal in the first five minutes, I don't think United wins again. All right, we'll, we'll, we will get into Montreal more in a bit. Before that, we're going to talk about the news, and before that, we're going to take a break. Stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, you know how you're always going on and on about legal advice on this show? Well, and yeah. Not, and you never, ever use the term correctly? Well, of course not. I try not to use the term correctly. Right. Our new sponsors, the Ehrlich Law Office, they do use the term correctly all the time. In fact, that is what they do. Oh, so if I actually wanted legal advice, I should probably go to them? Yeah, exactly. If you're in Northern Virginia or the District of Columbia, they handle employment issues, general civil litigation, defamation, lots of stuff. Uh, They have you covered. Jason, I'm sorry, they do not have you covered because you are in Maryland where they are not operating just yet. Uh, fine. So, Ehrlich Law Office, it's a, it's really good people. Uh, Josh is their, their main proprietor, Josh Ehrlich. Uh, he's a law school friend of mine. His, one of their, their attorneys, Ben, uh, a lot of our listeners know him from games and, and other places. So, guys, for a free consultation, go to Ehrlich Law Office 
facebook.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. It is time now for a DC United News Roundup. Uh, if we were a real radio show, we'd have like a clever music drop there. We're not, though, so we have Ben Bromley. <laughs> First thing on, on the list, uh, DC United has selected an architect for their new stadium in Buzzard Point. It is Populous, uh, who is the company that released those renderings couple years back, um, I guess about a year and a half ago, actually, uh, the, those gorgeous renderings with a triple-decker stand on one side and suites and a roof that went all the way around. Yeah, those renderings, as part of this announcement, are gone. Um, and instead, we get something a little bit more vanilla, but a little bit more realistic, I think. Um, if, we, if we really dig deep down, we can probably tell ourselves that the, the the previous renderings were a little bit pie in the sky, unrealistic. That said, it is still a little disappointing to see those gorgeous, awesome, innov- I, I thought innovative design uh, in some parts go away for something a little bit more like an erector set. But a stadium is a stadium, and I'll be happy wherever we go. Uh, Populous, well-known for, for doing lots of stadiums. They did Camden Yards. They did Nats Park. In the soccer world, they did Sporting Park in Kansas City. They did DSG Park in uh, Colorado. They are Houston. doing. They did Houston. They yep. they they're doing the New Orlando one. They did the new Wembley Stadium in London. They did the Emirates Stadium for Arsenal in London. They they have a pretty good pedigree when it comes to not just stadiums but soccer stadiums. And they also so, have the pedigree of being. Not the other major soccer-specific stadium designer who did such delightful things as PPL Park and RBA and other delightful stadiums that have lots of problems actually nowadays. Yeah, PPL Park's in some having some real issues right now from a design standpoint that should have been obvious. But uh, you, you can check out that view of the bridge. Yeah, there's the, <laughs> But but we'll put away supporters right next to home supporters. What could possibly go wrong? Bridge. Bridge. Uh, other news. This isn't news so much as rumor. Andy Nahar is rumored to be the subject of a transfer bid from Newcastle. Uh, he, he, of course, plays for Anderlecht. He used to play for DC United. This is news not just because we all really, really like Andy Nahar, but because DC United will get a chunk of whatever fee Anderlecht realized from the from from a transfer of Andy as well. So if the the rumored transfer, I think nine million dollar transfer bid is is real and it comes through, then then DC United slash MLS will be get get almost two million dollars just in their pockets. It'll be kinda nice. So that's that's something that's happening, and, and there's some question about how DC United will get that money, whether it'll be allocation, whether MLS, I assume MLS will take their 25% cut. Does it make me a bad person that I'd rather Andy Nahar go to a better place than Newcastle than DC United actually getting any money? I don't think it makes you a bad person. It probably yeah, makes you a better money. human being. It yeah. might make you a bad fan. Yeah. 
I'm okay with that. I mean, okay. you need to cross the line, Ben. Start thinking only of the team and not of humans as humans. But I mean, I can't condemn anyone I like to Newcastle. Would you condemn him to Sunderland? I mean, that's, that's no. That's one of the issues no, too, right? Because Sunderland and not, DC United are partner clubs. That's almost that borders on vulgar, Adam. I'm sorry. Not my, not my partnership. <laughs> Hashtag not my partnership. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> With apologies to John Oliver. Um, so DC United could be coming into some cash if they do get a chunk of it as allocation, then that'll help against the salary cap, maybe help uh, with a new signing, huh. or if, yeah, that's, yeah, maybe not. Either, uh, otherwise, it'll be all cash that they have to plow into the infrastructure of the team huh. somewhere. Well, they have to, by rule. It's there. It says in the rules. That's what they have to do, Ben. Why huh. would you doubt that? Huh. <laughs> Last thing comes comes actually very recently. Uh, Charles Baum from Potomac Soccer Wire uh, is reporting that, that DC United is looking at majorly slashing their academy budget going forward uh, starting next year, as in cutting it in half. He also has at least one source saying that they're going to make the upper levels of the academy free uh, free to pay. Right now, DC United does charge a tuition for their academy, and um, it looks like they may stop doing that, although comments from the team seem to indicate otherwise. We This is a story that still seems like it's pretty much in flux, so I, I, just I, something to keep an eye out for. As you're listening to this, we'll have an article up uh, addressing this specifically on blackandredunited.com. We will, in fact, Ben. Uh Obviously, cutting into the academy is not really a, a good thing at this stage in MLS when you have more and more homegrown stars coming through. FC Dallas are super dependent on two homegrown players in central midfield. Jassy Zardes is doing really well in L.A. Bill Hamid, obviously, very important for D.C. United. Um, so it, it, it's interesting to see them forced to do this. I understand the, the, the business side and... The, the team is hemorrhaging money, and the academy is essentially a loss leader. So it's how much loss can you take on that? But it's still, as a fan, a bummer to, to see. Fracking stupid. Indeed. That is it for the news. Jason, anything to add to the news? Ben, anything to add to the news? Hearing no, not nothing... Really. I, I will. I will say my briefly. <laughs> Let Jason talk. <laughs> there you go. Um, the the renderings. Uh, I hope that um, the area around the stadium is not reduced to just square uh, concrete blocks, which appear to be what the renderings were about. Um, I think if you put the city that was around the first rendering renderings around the stadium in the second renderings, uh, all of a sudden the things look a little better. Um, yeah, we're putting it in like literally the most depressing uh, version, of, the most impressive, depressing image of a city in human history, uh, which is what was surrounding the stadium in the second rendering, including like the, the weather appeared to be like on the verge of some sort of unpleasant storm. Um, I feel like that definitely has an impact on how you might receive the renderings. Otherwise, um, I think it, it, they might have been better for them to show like buildings with lights rather than just 
concrete blocks that are. Oh, I was under the impression that communism was just all concrete blocks. Just Eastern Bloc, 1975 uh, apartment buildings, but with no windows. <laughs> I mean, that's how they built things in Eastern. Proletariat housing. I mean, uh, I mean, wasn't that Pierre L'Enfant's ideal? He was French, not Russian. I mean, I understand they're both very <laughs> existentialist kind of. Hence the joke. <laughs> I was playing off of your. Shut up, Ben. <laughs> All that said, I, th- I think I would still consider moving down into the proletariat housing next to the stadium. <laughs> it's where I belong. <laughs> Both next to the stadium and in proletariat housing. But, but also not able to see the stadium because no windows. <laughs> Maybe I get like a tiny vent that I can open through difficulty. Like it's hard to open it. You have to push really hard. It hurts your fingers. But you it can only see. opens for five minutes a day. See through. No, you can open it whenever you want, but you can just see through <laughs> slats. Just barely. There it is. Look, guys. <laughs> I look forward to visiting Jason's new apartment. Naturally, there will be many of us because it's proletarian housing. <laughs> you don't get to live by yourself. That's, that's gonna... the upper classes. We have to move on. We have okay. to. <laughs> DC United at Montreal Impact, Saturday, 8 p.m. You can catch it on Comcast, Sportsnet, Mid-Atlantic, or MLS Live if you're further out of the DMV. The uh, Impact right now, fifth place in the East. They're actually in the playoff places, and there's looking at the rest of the East, there's some reason to think that they're going to stay there. Uh, 27 points through only 19 games played, uh, which is something like 27 games fewer than DC United has played. At this point, um, they, yeah, it's, they've had a, a weird year. They made it to the, despite a really awful start to the league campaign, they, they made it to the CONCACAF Champions League final, where they almost pulled off something before obviously not pulling off anything because they're the Montreal Impact. But maybe they're turning the corner. We'll get, we'll get to that question in a minute. But, but the, First thing we have to talk about is, I, I, I guess, the elephant in the room to deliberately use a pun is Didier Drogba is now a member of the Montreal Impact, and he could be making his debut against DC United. Will, will he be a thousand percent elephant? Well, I hope not. That would be bad for us. Um, <laughs> there, there, there is a report floating around, not from Montreal, that says that he might be held out for three weeks to get his fitness up to speed. On the other hand, Montreal traded Jack McInerney today and have one striker on their roster with any real experience. So, I don't know. And that it's, striker is, is, is Dominic Oduro. Yes, it's Dominic Oduro, um, who, uh, who's known for fast and bad. Miss, and also and fast. pizza. And pizza. And pizza, that's true. Uh, which I, I can only assume drives Montreal's uh, nutritionist and physiotherapist probably up a wall because you can't really sustain a professional athlete's body on Papa John's pizza. Apparently you can, and his name is Tom I mean, Maybe he has some sort of magical metabolism powers that I don't know about. Anyway. Looking at him, I think that's entirely possible. It is possible. Anyway, Didier Drogba, when... When he played in the Premier League, to me was the single scariest player any team ever had to play against. You're speaking as an Arsenal fan. 
well, sp- speaking as an Arsenal fan, but speaking for any team, yeah. Didier Drogba was a one-man wrecking crew. He could he could single-handedly beat any team. He could score four goals against anybody. It seemed like he's not that player anymore. But there's still, I have to think, some element of that about him. And he, I, I, I'm actually a little scared to see if he lines up on Saturday. It certainly throws um, a huge element of unpredictability into things because we don't know how he's going to look in MLS. Um, we don't know that he's going to play or not. He's much different from Dominic Oduro. So um, if they use him, it means a very different approach to the game. Whereas if they field Oduro from the start, they're going to be playing a lot more over the top for Oduro to chase on and a lot more through balls. Whereas with Drogba playing, it's going to be a lot more back to goal. Um, because at 37, he can no longer... He, he used to be pretty fast for a guy of his size. That's not really going to be the case, I don't think, anymore. I don't think at his age you keep that speed. If, if he is, then um, I'm impressed, but also kind of jealous. Um, but uh, <laughs> Considering yeah, you're younger and already lost all your speed? I Well, whatever speed I had was lost long before uh, it would have been of any use to me. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's going to make... It makes them a, a hard team to game plan for, because... Uh, their their two possible starting strikers are so completely different from each other. Um, one we haven't seen play a second in this league, um, and also it's been a little while since Drogba was playing truly top level competition as a starter that his team was relying on. When he was at Galatasaray, he wasn't starting that often. Um, when he played, uh, I believe he had another stop in between. Um, going to Turkey and then um, going back to England briefly. Um, He hasn't been the star of the show for a little while now. Um, So how quickly he adjusts to that is another issue. You know, the mental adjustment to everyone keying on you because your jersey says Drogba on the back of it. Um, Whether he's going to adjust to the tempo of MLS where everyone is, um, you know, a lot of European players have come to MLS and it's almost like they walked into a room expecting a normal day and they got, like, 22 people running and screaming uh, all over the place, and it's just like, what's what's even happening right now? Um, so there's a lot there's a lot to wonder about, and we might be the guinea pig uh, as far as dealing with him. Um, and I would assume that United is dedicating some time into looking at his old tapes to see not necessarily what physically he can do, but what kind of runs he likes to make. Um, what what. What, what, how, how big a portion of his skill on the field it comes down to decisions rather than size and strength and, and power and accuracy and all that stuff. Um, so trying to figure out what, what's going on in his head is kind of important, but it's, it's tough to gauge because you never know how he's going to react to his teammates. Even without Drogba, the Impact have been a much improved team this year, even over the very beginning of the year. Um, if you only look at their their league results, like I said, they've gotten into playoff contention in the East and playoff position in the East, which is a relatively low bar, but it's still a bar that that they are clearing. But the Philadelphia um, Union can't clear. That's a, a good point. NYCFC can't clear it. OCSC, I think, can, right now cannot clear that bar. Uh, true. I think. Yeah. I think that's true. Yeah, right now they're on the outside looking and they're tied on points with with Montreal. Huh, right now go. both Toronto and Montreal are in the playoff standings and it's completely giving me vertigo. 
Yeah, um, it's gonna I mean, I'd rather them be in the playoffs than either of the expansion teams. Fair enough. So, so the Impact are a better team this year. Ben, is that are you surprised to see them in playoff contention even in the weak Eastern Conference? And right now there are only four teams in each conference that don't make the playoffs. In the East right now, that's Chicago, Philly, and the two expansion teams. That's who's not in the playoffs. I mean, no, I'm, I'm not surprised at that. And I'm especially not surprised at that because uh, the Montreal Impact have played, what, four MLS games this season so far? I mean, uh, three and a half, actually. Three, okay, yeah. I mean, it, it is absurd that they are still either... I th- they have the, five games in hand on DC United. Yeah, I, I think they are the team that has played the least MLS games so far, maybe tied for the least MLS games so far. Uh, they have played the least by themselves. Toronto has played one more. Yeah, and I mean, the absence, the, the reason in theory was the CONCACAF Champions League, but DC United had that too, and DC United has the most games played so far, so... Who knows Mont- what that's about? Montreal did get one game uh, pushed back during that time, one early season game pushed back. Not that that makes up the rest of the gap, but it does. Explain. They would still they would still be tied for the least amount of games played. Right, right. It's just this is the world we live in, where MLS the scheduling is almost a a man throwing right. darts at a board. Right. So at least in DC United's favor, uh, Montreal will have three games in eight days around the get the DC United game this weekend. So that works out for them. But it before you get into that though, let's open up the Twitter box, Ben. Okay. That's that's not the sound I was looking for, Ben. <laughs> Twitter box <laughs> Thank you, Ben. Yes. <laughs> we have a tweet from uh, Shane, who is at Kinchon. He said, Shane, not train. (laughs) (laughs) Choo-choo! Who asks us, at filibuster DCU, with Drogba, uh, Venegas, and a double game week, how does all of this affect Montreal? Um, Of course, Drogba's not their only signing. They also signed a guy from Alajuelense and the the, uh, Panamanian national team. Uh, No, Costa Rican. Costa Rican national team. Sorry, misspoke. I thought Costa Rican, then I changed it, and I should have should have kept with my first instinct. Stick to your guns. Stick to your guns, man. Um, Jason, how do how do you see the? Or I guess Ben, you were you were about to talk about it, so I'll I'll throw it back to you. The the short rest with the new personnel that may or may not be making their debut this week. I mean, in theory, that should benefit DC United, but we thought that way about the Philadelphia Union game earlier this season, and we all know how that went not well. So I would like to think that Ben Olsen and company and the members of the team will have remembered that and figured out a way to deal with it, but they didn't earlier this season against a worse team in the Philadelphia Union, so... We'll just have to see what happens against the impact. All right, Jason, how do you think the impact will come out and try to play against DC United? Yeah, I know it depends on their center forward. Right. But, but putting that aside, if, if you can, what, what are their tendencies? 
Well, it's interesting with the, with the impact because their reputation is to be mostly a counterattacking team, but a lot of that has to do with how they play on the road. When they're at home, they tend to keep the ball. They, they uh, end up with, I think it's 52% of possession. Um, and they're they, a much better team at home than they are on the road. Yeah, they've, they've got six, what is it, six wins, two losses, and one draw in their home games, and they're plus nine goal difference. Um, they score two goals a game at home. So they're no joke. This is not the typical, oh, it's Montreal, they're not that good. Um, they complete a lot, a high rate of passes. They don't give the ball away a lot. Um, they tend to get down the wings quite a bit. Um, that's where they create from, though. It's, it's interesting because... Um, Ignacio Piatti is the the star attraction in terms of what's been what we've seen in MLS. We you know we can't count Drogba towards that yet. Um, and Piatti plays in the middle, but a lot of the mo- moving the ball into attacking positions for them happens on the wings. They're one of the least central teams when it comes to that in MLS, which is kind of when you look at the players they have, it it's sort of a surprise. You would think it would be the other way around, but they tend to want to get wide and then come inside once they get into the attacking third. So it's going to be a little different from playing RSL because uh, the wide players are all going to have to do a, a little bit more defending than they did against against RSL. They only really had to deal with the fullbacks um, coming forward because the wide forwards were pretty narrow for RSL, trying to be forwards rather than wingers. Um, Montreal is going to, to stretch the field out and come down the wings, so we might not see we we might not see a repeat of Nick DeLeon and Chris Roth being so involved going forward because they might have to dial that back a little so so that they can help out defensively. Um, on the other hand, that does open up uh, the possibility of counterattacks because if those players if those Montreal players are pushing up the wing, if there's a giveaway, you can easily get into that space. Um, usually, that option is open, and so um, it it becomes sort of a a cat and mouse game a little bit for United. They've, they've got to defend down the wings really well, and then when they turn the ball over, they've got to get it out there really quickly. So um, it's going to be a demanding game for the wide players. Uh, don't be surprised if someone like Miguel Aguilar gets in earlier than he has been recently, just just to get fresh legs in, um, because the, the game might be a little more up and down, a little more of a transition sort of game if United handles it well and stops those wide attacks the counter is going to be available. And we saw, we've seen it happen to Montreal before. Um, granted, you know, a lesser version of the impact and certainly um, attacking Montreal this year is a little more difficult because um, Laurent Simon is better than everyone else at defending um, and sort of carries the, his, the other three defenders that they have on the field with him sort of carries them on his back. Um, it might be smart to get down the other side of the field. Uh, he plays left center back. So getting down uh, our left and their right might be a better idea because then you're not dealing with Simon just outthinking everyone so often. I wonder whether United has a creative player who tends to flare out to the left side of United's formation, especially high up the pitch. And also uh, another who, creative player who happens to be stationed on the left wing often. Yeah. Oh. I wonder if we have anyone like that. Someone, someone with you know maybe an, a chip on his shoulder, a bit of an angry streak to him who can score and create maybe an expert at the crab walk would be helpful here. And have we seen yet this season what Simon does against magical headbands? <laughs> I, I, I would assume that we've not. Not knowing of any other magic, actual magic headbands, just regular headbands throughout the league, sure. I, I only know of one actual magic headband. 
Well, we did beat Montreal at RFK, but it was a game of very few chances, and it was cold. <laughs> Which is important, I think. <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right, so anything else to add on Montreal before we turn to one last Twitter box question before we, we close up for the night? Uh, I think the, the other thing that needs to be noted is Montreal's central midfielders don't keep the ball very much, but they also don't keep it for very long. When they do get it, they tend to look for switching the point of attack or going over the top. Um, in the Champions League, they made a huge uh, impact by... <laughs> stumbled right into that one. Um, by uh, do it going over the top, um, and that's how they actually got to the final, in part, was um, a Callum Malice, who previously was just sort of a guy that Montreal used sometimes for fresh legs in defensive midfield, all of a sudden hits you know a Marco Echeverry-quality 60-yard pass that Cameron Porter, who's now injured... Um, brings down and scores. It was very not, uh, you know, you're talking about an, ML- an MLS, you know, run-of-the-mill guy and a rookie in his, like, first or second appearance ever as a professional, um, combining on one of the best goals of the entire CONCACAF Champions League. Um, that that option is not going to be completely there because Porter is out for the season, but um, we've seen uh, Marco Donadell... Um, show flashes of... Donadell's a really weird player. He's shown some amazing skill, but there are also games where his job appears to just be commit fouls until he's booked, and then just sort of get upset and get substituted. Um, so hopefully that's the mood he's in, because that's a clearly not an effective way to win at soccer. Um, but there are other times where his passing range is really good. His long-range shooting, he scored probably a goal-of-the-year contender um, a few weeks ago. Um, you might remember it because he celebrated with his daughter in the stands, um, so that that made the rounds. Not, I mean, the goal itself probably deserved some some uh, attention as well. Um, so the two of them, if assuming that the short week doesn't mean that they get rested, um, the two of them have to be compressed and shut down pretty early. You can't let them have the time to pick those long passes out because they'll swing the ball out to Andres Romero, um, Oduro. Obviously, running onto balls over the top is dangerous. Um, so it's a – and Dilly Duca, I shouldn't leave him out because he's actually producing tangible uh, success nowadays um, rather than just looking good and then not creating goals or assists ever. Um, so they are dangerous in those transition moments, swinging the ball from central midfield, from a deep position, out to the wing and, att- and entering the attacking third that way. Um, so United has to be strong about making sure that those players aren't given the chance to look up. If, if they're playing sideways and they're never giving, never getting a, a look at those long balls, then that's probably a good sign. All right, that's it. Uh, like I said, the game is 8 o'clock this Saturday night on Comcast, Sportsnet, and MLS Live. One last Twitter box, Ben. I'm not going to keep talking until you do it. Twitter box! Choo-choo! one last twitter box before we end the show this one comes from good friend of the show Josie Becker out there in California who asks us what comes first a DC championship or a DC stadium DC championship they scored six goals in 1996 one game six goals (laughs) one game in 2004 six goals in 2015 MLS Cup in the bag. Um, Choo-choo! <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be optimistic and, and, and say championship. I think the stadium will be here. 
before the start of the 2018 season, or at least in time for the start of the 2018 season. I think United gets a trophy before between now and then. I'll, I'll be optimistic. Now, just to be clear, we're talking MLS Cups and not just any trophy, right? I, I, I MLS Cup. I. What about a Carolina might throw Challenge a supporter Cup? shield in there? What about a Carolina Challenge Cup? I, I was going not Carolina Challenge Cup. I was going with league championships, which are MLS Cup and the Shield. So I would say they'll win. They'll win at least one of those two between now and the end of 2017. So this year or the next two years. I mean, I would I would have to rate them just based on strength of schedule. You'd have to expect the Supporter Shield. United has an excellent shot at it this year, um, even with the. Uh, possible tiebreaker losses to Dallas and Seattle, and trust me, I'm still going over them in my head um, because Nick Dalion hit the crossbar in Seattle in stoppage time, and Fabian Castillo scored in stoppage time in Dallas, and those could come back to haunt us. But if they don't come back to haunt us, um, that'd be nice. To, yeah, because I mean, United is almost completely done with the Western Conference. We've still got plenty of games against. We, we haven't even played New York City uh, yet, um, which, which is. Absurd. is which I would also like to add means we haven't played Thomas McNamara and the other ten bums that have to that that are like weighing him down and ruining everything. Um, also, we haven't then, played Andrea Pirlo and his awful defensive pressure. Like Jason said, the ten bums who are weighing down Thomas exactly. McNamara, just hanging clean to his ankles and stopping him from being his full glorious self. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. Uh, find us at blackandredunited.com. Find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. As always, we accept love letters, hate mail, and advertising inquiries. Find us on iTunes. Find us on Stitcher. We are on SoundCloud. Uh, when you're at a bar this Saturday for the game, make sure you mention to a friend that there's a podcast you listen to. It's not even filibuster. Just a fr- not even just a friend, just any stranger. Strangers are just friends you don't know yet. There you go. Approach them briskly and yell at them about the podcast. <laughs> In true Jason Anderson fashion. <laughs> we will don't talk waste to you. any time. We will talk to you real soon for Jason and Ben. And thank you again to the Ehrlich Law Office. I'm Adam. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason. <laughs>